The Great Work. Welcome to The Great Work Radio. The Great Work Radio is an ongoing investigation into esoteric iconology and symbolism and is available from jessewa.com. Each episode we explore different topics with our guests who help us piece together the truth to the mystery which is veiled in allegory and hidden behind symbols. Hello, today we discuss The Buddha from Babylon with author Harvey Kraft. Harvey Kraft is an American author and a spiritual archaeologist adept at interpreting ancient mythic language. Mr. Kraft's new alternative biography of the history of Buddha titled The Buddha from Babylon is the culmination of 15 years of research into the Buddha's lifetime and enlightened visions. The book is this year's double winner of the USA Best Book Awards for Eastern Religions and Nonfiction World History. Harvey Kraft explores human history from a spiritual perspective rather than the traditional method based on military conquests. His research methods employ archaeological findings, translating and interpreting mythic literature and iconography, unearthing hidden meanings embedded in ancient linguistics, and exploring the cosmology of existence through visionary insights. As a student of Buddhism for 47 years, his personal quest has been to unearth the meaning of Buddhist wisdom. Mr. Kraft's new biography of Siddhartha Gautama is the culmination of his aspiration to explore the Buddha's original teachings and enlightened scope. Reviewers have recognized it as a seminal work. Today, Mr. Kraft lives with his family in California. He is a sought-after speaker and consultant. In 1998, Mr. Kraft lost his 23-year-old daughter, Lonnie, after a heart transplant operation. She had encouraged her father to share his understanding of Buddhism. Trying to deal with her passing, he embraced her inspiration to follow the path she pointed him in. His work is dedicated to her. Hi, Harvey. How are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Jesse. It's uh, good to be here, and I appreciate you uh, being interested in my new book. Well, it's a really fascinating topic, topic. Uh, and basically it's the Buddha from Babylon. And you and your colleagues have discovered that the Buddha may have actually been a Persian, uh, em- Persian emperor. Is that correct? Uh, not exactly. Un- unfortunately, that's how it's been reported by the Iranian news agency. But <laughs> what I was saying was that uh, the man who became the Buddha... Uh, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, based on new evidence, actually lived at the same time that the Persian Empire uh, was uh, at its inception, and uh, he would have been uh, living in an area that the Persian Empire um, invaded, and then he also apparently uh, would have gone to Babylon, which was a city uh, occupied by the Persian Empire uh, in the 6th century BCE, so we're talking 2,500 years ago. Uh, this is a drastic uh, revision uh, of thought uh, from the traditional legendary biography of the Buddha yeah. as a man who lived in isolation uh, in uh, the other side of India. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. And uh, so, what does this what does this mean? Uh, okay, Persepolis is where this is supposed to have occurred. Persepolis uh, is the capital that was built in Iran, and that's where uh, they found uh, seals uh, of, of families that were prominent uh, in, during the Persian Empire. Uh, and Persepolis was built by Darius the Great. Yeah who is considered the king of kings at that time. So uh, just to draw a a, a fast map, the Persian Empire at that time covered uh, the entire middle of Asia, and that was including all the way to Africa, to Egypt. Egypt. Egypt was part of the Persian Empire, and all the way on the other side, on the eastern side, all the way to the Indus uh, river, which is today uh, includes Pakistan, uh, and that also uh, was all the way up to where Greece uh, is in in Europe. In other words, it covered Turkey on the northern side. When uh, when was just so, on a side note? When was the battle yeah. with Xerxes uh, 
between Z uh, Greece and Persia. Yeah, so Xerxes was the son of Darius. Oh, so okay, all right. Darius is the one that started uh, the effort to invade uh, Greece, and he was repelled uh, or did not complete that mission uh, during the Battle of Marathon. And then his son picked up where his father left off. So the Buddha was alive uh, and teaching uh, Buddhism during the time of Darius the Great. They, they were contemporaries. They lived uh, essentially around the same time. Uh, and what's fascinating is when you see uh, Xerxes uh, and he is, uh, his military is supported by this idea of, of a religion. And that religion that is the Persian religion is uh, Zoroastrian religion. Okay, right, uh, yeah. So, so there is a uh, one of the uh, elements of my book is to explore uh, the uh, how the Zoroastrian religion with Darius the Great comes to power and in the process purges and uh, and creates a coup in Babylon uh, at the time that Siddhartha Gautama was there as the leader of the Magi order. And that, oh, okay. and the Magi then has to flee in all directions. And from that point on, uh, historians only know the Magi as a Zoroastrian order. Now that but, doesn't have that. Sorry, that doesn't have anything to do with the Jewish expulsion. Is that not this? That's completely different. Yeah. So the Jewish expulsion uh, happens a little bit earlier that same century. Okay. Uh, the the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar is around 605 BC, and and he is the one that um, destroys the temple in Judea, the the temple in Jerusalem. Right. And at that time, uh, thousands and thousands of Jews are then exiled to live in Babylon, which is something that actually happened a hundred or more years before that when the Assyrians did that to the ten tribes of Israel and they exiled the Israelites and as part of my book uh, the, the Israelites are exiled to Medes which is in northern Iran and there's a whole story about the Magi and the Israelites and how they come together to overthrow the Assyrians so there is a very um, involved history that involves the Judeans and the Israelites, um, and and how all of that also has an impact on the emergence of uh, religion in that area, and and then also Buddhism. Yeah, my, what what does that does that form into Buddhism? Because what 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 it just made me think was um a lot of people think that maybe Christianity was uh, Jewish in Rome, like a, a a method of warfare against Rome to take over Rome, right? So do you think that there's any possibility that um that Buddha might have been a similar uh, phenomenon, or no? If that's, if that's something you think might be possible? Well, I think you've got to look at Babylon as being the, uh, the intellectual center of the world in the 6th century BC, okay? Right, Which yeah. means that, that people from nearly every civilization uh, in the world were there. Uh, and by that I mean civilization that was within the grasp of of the empire, okay. right? So you you had Greeks and Egyptians and Judeans and uh, people from India and everybody was in in Babylon. So what you had is you had conversations going on between people from all of these different faiths, and consequently, what the Magi was about it was an interfaith uh, order, and they were. Uh, in charge of the religious services, but they, it was a, as far as they were concerned, it was a bring your own God kind of uh, service. Wow, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and what else they did was they were also uh, masters of, uh, of architecture and, and managed the construction of the ziggurats and other uh, building going on in Babylon, uh, and then thirdly, they were in charge of the research that was going on in terms of proto-science and philosophy and right, yeah, cosmology yeah. at that time. 
So they, they, this is a, a critical nexus and turning point for the entirety of civilization. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying is that this, uh, their symbol, the symbol of the Magi was the lion, okay? And they yeah. were part of uh, the Arya, which is Arya means lion. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, and it means lion in Hebrew, by the way, as well. Uh, and so what you have there is when, when, the story, when the Bible writes the story of Daniel in, in Babylon and he's in a den of lions, this is a metaphor for the fact that he is uh, in the middle of the Magi order that is around the king. And, and, and so uh, he actually becomes the chief Magi when he saves all of, the, all of them by interpreting uh, the dream of the of the king Nebuchadnezzar. So then what happens is about 70 years after that, uh, when Siddhartha is in um, Babylon. Uh -huh. Is, uh, he, in, is he in power? Uh, the, is, is he, he preceded Darius or he came after Darius the Great? No, he preceded Darius. Okay. Uh, he was there when uh, Cyrus, he got there when Cyrus uh, the first emperor uh, took over Babylon. It was like it was like Cyrus was uh, portrayed himself as a liberator, and he allowed at that point he allowed the Judeans to go back home. Right. Uh, yeah. Which basically was be he allowed anybody to go back home at that point because when he took over, he wanted to uh, he already controlled Judea. I mean, there wasn't any. There was no reason they weren't leaving the empire. He just let everybody go to wherever they came from. Uh, and at that point, um, you know, he became emperor. Then his son, Cambodia, became emperor. And his son then invaded Egypt and took that as well. Now, uh, very interesting is that there is a, a ceremony in Babylon at that time called the Akidu ceremony, harvest, uh, the harvest annual ceremony. And what it required the sitting king to come in and be blessed by God, who was named, whose name was Marduk. Okay. And uh, Kambujia was busy uh, doing other stuff and wasn't interested in having the Magi, you know, approve of his kingship, so he didn't show up. So what happened is they vacate the throne. Uh, at that point in time, Siddhartha Gautama, under the name, the inscriptions that Persepolis, uh, the Behistun uh, inscriptions by Darius call him Gomata. Oh yeah, and, right. Oh. And and this name Gomata is then portrayed as being an imposter who took over the throne. But it's really the Magi having vacated the throne, and and what happens is now all of a sudden Gomata is issuing edicts freeing slaves and lowering taxes but you don't think that you don't think that uh gal galmata was a construct or like a puppet of the magi behind the scenes is there any possibility of a conspiracy like that no the 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 uh this view of the magi as conspirators was perpetrated by darius and his conspirators right this is a <laughs> this is one of the most politically shrewd and diabolical plan in the history of the world, yeah. the takeover, Darius's takeover. Understand this, at, at the moment all of this happens, within a few months, first of all, Kambodia is a Persian, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if you, were, if you were a Persian and you wanted to take over the throne and you weren't happy with Kambodia, what better way that to, it, than to not make it look like it wasn't you that had anything to do with overthrowing him because yeah. that would be like a traitor to your own people. Yeah. But you sort of set somebody else up to take the fall. And that's what Darius uh, and, and conspirators with Zoroaster as the diabolical genius master planner, that's what they did. It's a very, very uh, difficult uh, case to solve, which my book actually, for the very first time in 2,500 years, offers the solution of exactly what happened. Because the moment 
uh, it is recognized that Gomata in history is actually Siddhartha Gautama. The motives of everybody involved becomes clear. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, and it has to do with religious motives as much as it has to do with political motives, and the two are combined. And so what you have basically is you have a setup, then you have the uh, Darius blaming uh, the Magi for uh, conspiring with the uh, aristocracy uh, of northern Iran, Medes, who had been previously in power, so that he has a convenient reason to uh, charge that they were traitors. But in fact, he is, he is the traitor, and of course he takes over, and uh, as much as he tries to make himself sound like I'm just a simple soldier, he does build Persepolis, which is, uh, you know, uh, basically uh, the, the Parthenon in Greece was built because they were jealous of Persepolis. Uh, Persepolis yeah, and I'm looking at a picture of Persepolis right now, and it actually looks, yeah. e it looks Egyptianate as well. So they were obviously inspired by what was their colony, you're saying then. Yeah, he was uh, the king of kings, and and uh, and religiously, Darius was aiming to create the kingdom of God on earth. He was going to conquer the entire earth, and everybody was going to then uh, worship the god he worshipped, who was Ahura Mazda, this Zoroastrian right. idea. Uh, so, oh, let me let me ask you about that. So, how how much older is Zoroastrianism than? than this era, than Buddhism, than 500 BC or whatever. And then what, is there any kind of relationship where they rivals Buddhism and, or did Buddhism manifest uh, quickly enough to become a rival with Zoroastrianism? Yes, it, you know, there, there is some confusion uh, uh, regarding your question, regarding when Zoroastrian really started. There are claims that it started like 2,000 years earlier than the period of time yeah. I'm talking about, and the reason for that is that a lot of times there's there's historians with a lot of confusion about that okay, issue. Right. Um, what's possible is that the god um, Asura Mazda, and the word Asura means God in Assyrian language, that that god kind of made it, migrated to Persia. And at some point, and the Persians, the way Persian is done, they 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 change an S to an H. So right. instead Ahura of Asura, it's Ahura. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that becomes their god. Now, the, the word Zoroaster is possibly a title. So what we're honing in on here is um, the Zoroaster, the Persian Zoroaster, who was the mentor of Darius the Great in Persia. And, and what, what Zoroastrian was, was basically a competitor of the Vedic religion. Oh, okay. All right. And, and, and based on the Rig Veda, which was uh, the religion of the Indus, when the Buddha, or Siddhartha, was born in and lived in that area. So Siddhartha was a, from a family that had a Vedic heritage. Okay, so uh, you're saying that Siddhartha Gautama... Uh, probably was actually born in India then. He was born in in the India that today would be Afghanistan, oh, uh, more okay. like right. more like the uh, the area of Kabul. In fact, one of the points is that according to Buddhist literature, the capital of uh, the Sakya the Sakya tribe is what traditional Buddhists call the tribe that the Buddha came from. And the capital city is called Kapil or Kapilvastu, meaning city of Kapil. Oh, okay. And they and they say that the Sakya and the and Kapil were in northern India or Nepal, but in fact there is no archaeological evidence to that effect. On the other hand, in the Indus Valley, there is a historically proven culture called the Saka, and the name of the city of Kabul is an echo of Kapil. There is right now a uh, archaeological dig that is probably the most important in Buddhist history going on 25 miles out of Kabul called Mes Ainak. Unfortunately, this dig that could possibly unearth the original home of where the Buddha came from, that land has been uh, leased by the Afghanistan government to a Chinese copper mining, 
company oh, no. who has been they've been ready to bulldoze it yeah. for the past year and there's been an outcry uh, throughout the world of people saying no 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 don't do it because while the archaeology is being conducted there and we're getting uh, uh, we have a massive Buddhist temple with all kinds of artifacts coming out of there still there it would probably take uh, another 10-20 years to dig up what's further down underground to where we get to the era uh, of the BC uh, time that the Buddha was alive it's, it, it seems strange that it would be a Chinese company where uh, uh, Buddhism, is, Buddhism is so strong in China. It seems strange that they would be digging it up or destroying it. Well, there's a difference uh, between uh, the people of China who are Buddhists, and there are a, a, a very large number, and you know, still I think maybe 300 million people. <laughs> but the, gov the government of China and the economic um, people who control the economy and, and the companies there are not pro-Buddhists whatsoever. There is, a, there is quite a bit of uh, censorship uh, involved when it comes to Buddhism uh, in China because uh, the, the government doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily feel that religion uh, within the communist framework is something that they uh, want to support and, and it has a lot of historical issues because Buddhism has been around in China uh, since uh, the second century AD or so. Mm -hmm. uh, so so there's a, you know there's an issue there uh, at the same time the Buddhists in China are the ones that are helping people become conscious of environmental issues and, and the issues of treating each other well so uh, there, no. there is a conundrum there yeah now uh, so where, where uh, what century was the Tower of Babel and, and when did it fall the Tower of Babel in the Bible is a story okay uh, and uh, the question really is is the uh, where did that story come from uh, there is a great deal of evidence whether somebody who is Jewish or Christian wants to believe this or not that most of the stories in Genesis are of Mesopotamian origin in, and that includes the uh, creation story of the world uh, and it includes the the Garden of Eden story, Eden stories, the, the Tree of Life, the story of the Great Flood and Noah. Uh, there, there are all versions of these kinds of stories that are earlier in than, than the uh, Judean culture that go back to the third millennium BC. Mm. So consequently, when uh, when you look at that, uh, it it appears that um, whether there was an oral tradition of these stories in Judean culture or not first uh, is difficult to tell. But probably the Genesis uh, as a book was written at the time of the Babylonian uh, exile. Oh, really? Uh, okay. So does, even now does, though it's the first book, it's not necessarily the first book in terms of what happened. Does, does this have anything to do with the Talmud? Uh, the Talmud was written in, in uh, Persia, right? In Babylon. Yeah, that, that's a later, you know, that's a more of the rabbinical uh, interpretation as well. But to your question about the Tower of Babel, mm -hmm. so so there is, there are, let's just say, uh, references to where you could say that the Tower of Babel was a Mesopotamian ziggurat, and if you look at the history of that part of the world, the ziggurats were built for, uh, even starting before the pyramids were built, and they were step pyramids, and they were built in Sumer and Akkad. And in the story of Gilgamesh, which is the oldest uh, story of literature that humanity has, okay, that comes from Sumer, there is the story of where Gilgamesh is climbing up a, a cosmic mountain, okay. Uh, but there is also uh, a King Gilgamesh of the same time, uh, and the story of in the story of Gilgamesh. He tries to achieve immortality by climbing up to the top of the, this cosmic mountain and asking the gods to let him become immortal. 
Okay, he's already a demigod, but but that's not good enough. So what it says is that the king of uh, of Uruk, who was Gilgamesh, he tried to climb up a ziggurat and make his ziggurat higher and higher and higher until he could reach the sky so that he can then achieve immortality by walking up to the top of the heavens. Mm. Uh, the fact of the matter is that where the city that he ruled, Uruk, there was the Anu Ziggurat, otherwise known as the Stairway to Heaven. Oh wow! You know, with pardon to the to the song, but stair the the Stairway to Heaven Ziggurat uh, over a fourteen hundred year period kept expanding, uh, expanding the base and going higher and higher and higher, and then. Once uh, Gilgamesh becomes king, uh, it, it no longer is. So we can assume that, that because the building materials at that time were basically not as strong as what the Egyptians did with stone, that the Anu ziggurat collapsed. Mm. And so the collapse of the ziggurat uh, is an, and the effort to go and achieve immortality and ba basically the, the audacity of that yeah. is really the subject of the biblical story of the Tower of Babel. Okay, uh, right. Of Babel. Uh, and then uh, as far as... Uh, yeah, so Buddha, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's really uh, good. Uh, so where does this put um, Buddha being yeah. born? You said if he's born in Kabul, then what happens to Bodh Gaya? Yeah, so Bodh Gaya is the name of a place in India where uh, the Buddha is said to have sat under a tree, the Bodhi tree, and attained enlightenment. Uh, in a Buddhist literature, the words Bodh Gaya actually translate to enlightened biosphere. Mm. So the Gaya part of it is a ancient word that I'm sure many of your listeners have heard before. Mm -hmm. Gaia, Gaia translates to biosphere, it translates to Earth, to the entire planet. The Bodh Gaya means that wherever the Buddha is, the, the planet or the biosphere is enlightened. So it, it's, a, it's a mythic uh, word that has tremendous meaning. Uh, for our planet. It wasn't uh, originally conceived of as a town, mm -hmm. okay? Um, but uh, there is this tradition of, of this, uh, some, some tree uh, that, it, that now exists there, which is a, a pilgrimage site for uh, Buddhists in Bodh Gaya. And this is just fine. I mean, the fact is that the Buddhists cannot have pilgrimage sites uh, in the Islamic part of the world, which is what where uh, Buddhism uh, originated out of Vedism, and as well as its connection to the Magi in Babylon. And the reason the book proves that is it proves proves it, you know, because of the literature of Buddhist Buddhism. But that literature all, was written uh, a couple of hundred years after the passing of the Buddha, and it was written in India. So the authors of the Buddhist literature uh, wrote places that were originally on the um, uh, western front of India and made them on the eastern front so as to make Buddhism be uh, more acceptable as a local religion in that part of India at that okay. time. Okay, and uh, is, does that include Bodh Gaya too? Uh, I think Bodh Gaya and uh, as well as Lumbini and all of those were all claims that came much, much later. Okay. But certain places uh, are mentioned uh, in, in regards to where the Buddha taught. Uh, and uh, Varnasi and places like that in India are mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh, so, yeah, but you know, the, the fact is that you know, the, the effort that we're making here has nothing really to do with influencing pilgrimage or legend or any of the beliefs of people. Okay, we're right, just trying right. to find out what is the reason why Buddhist literature is so interfaith in its scope and so cosmic. Is it? Yeah, they're, really? They're, yeah, mm. that's the point. The, the, 
it's like the Buddha, the, the subtitle of this book, The Buddha from Babylon, is The Lost History and Cosmic Vision of Siddhartha Gautama. And this cosmic part of it, which comes out of, you know, the, the Vedic seers were, you know, looking at the universe and seeing uh, certain things, and the uh, Babylonians were looking at planetary movements, and they, uh, they developed algebra, they developed the first zodiac, uh, the Buddha developed uh, the middle path philosophy, which is basically the, the beginning of the golden mean idea. Truly magnificent um, uh, progress in, in the 6th century uh, BC that is, is uh, not only the beginning of science, but is also the beginning of philosophy, the beginning of truly advanced cosmology and theology. Uh, that's really what my book is about. Mm -hmm. And so the, the historical uh, underpinning of all of this is that if the Buddha lived in, uh, in the eastern side of India and was completely in isolation from the time, brought up in isolation and went to the forest and lived in isolation, how could it be that Buddhist literature has all this rich connection uh, uh, with worldly cosmic uh, mythology and symbolism that it has? Right. Okay, right, so yeah. so you have to find the reason why that exists, and that's what we've been investigating. And uh, the evidence uh, for your the theory that you guys are putting forth that you're putting forth is um, an analysis of seals, right? And those I presume are what uh, terracotta seal uh, tablets, or yes, they, those, uh, oh no, seals are little pictographic uh, seals. Okay. Right, they're family seals. So uh, one of one of my colleagues um, was able to interpret one of the seals, which is physically now at the University of Chicago. And that that uh, colleague is Dr. Ranajit Paul. How? That's correct. Okay. Uh huh. Yes. So uh, looking at a number of seals that uh, he was able to piece together, that those seals are the family seals of Sudhodana, who's uh, the Buddha's father and the king of the Saka uh, tribe, and and then Siddhartha. So, so that's how this is the first um, evidence of their family of any kind, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, anywhere. And and that yeah, that's why it's that's what makes it such a shocking story. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and that was found among the ruins of Persepolis. Persepolis was destroyed by Alexander the Great. Uh, so one, uh, I would say several decades ago, um, we had some archaeologists at that time that were allowed in there, and they found among the ruins uh, quite a number of seals, which were then brought to the United States. But uh, that the, they, it's very, very difficult in many cases to interpret what these seals say because they're usually emblematic. You know, it's right, not. Right. Right, it, yeah. It's a picture. It's a pictogram. Mm -hmm. So oh, that, sorry. Does that does this seal have anything to do with? I think it's called the Lord of the Animals. Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? That I don't know. I uh, because that. it has the Lord of the Animals usually is flanked by two animals on either side, and he has his arms spread out as well. And then also the the proto Shiva uh, image mm -hmm. is also related to the Lord of the Animals, I think, as well. And he usually has horns. This image has a crown obviously so it's different yeah uh no i'm i'm familiar with the lord of the animals from the standpoint of um of hinduism or the vedic uh, mm -hmm. teachings and many of the characters but this particular seal is a king uh with a crown and with two figures uh, standing on either end uh, and the figures have a bird head. The interpretation of those figures is that they are shramana, um, which, which means that they are from a type of Vedic tradition, the shramana tradition, that is indicative of the Saka clan in that part of the world. Okay. So, so what we see next is in the iconography of Buddhism, we see essentially the Buddha sitting on a lion throne. In other words, it's a, a throne. Therefore, mm -hmm. 
he is the, the, the Buddha is mythologically the king of wisdom and on, he is flanked on either side by bodhisattvas who are celestial beings without wings but they are celestial bodhisattvas so what we have is between these two uh, images we have an upgrade essentially showing that uh, based on the Buddha's original family uh, emblem Buddhism, Buddhism then creates its own iconography of a Buddhist uh, religion. Oh wow, so you're saying that Buddhist iconography has its root in this particular seal right here? Yes. Wow. What, what number seal is that? It says F, uh, PFS 79 or what, what number is that one? Yes. Oh, 79. Uh, yeah, PFS 79. Persepolis steel. Right, that's one. Uh, that's the that's the seal that appeared in the uh, article on in ancient origins. Right, right. Uh, but there are several seals that are named in there, and they're all uh, part of the collection at the University of Chicago, and all were studied. And out of the, that combination of seals is where uh, this. Um, interpretation of and you're developed. and it says that the Saka tribe were the Scythians yes so the Scythians uh, came from the Black Sea uh, or and all the way across that the Black Sea parallel uh, across Asia up to the Russian steppes uh, and the Ural Mountains and so at various points in time in history there are migrations coming uh, south. So, uh, for example, the Black Sea Scythians were the Hittites, uh, okay. and and then as you move uh, forward, what it is is that what what people sometimes think that when you hear the word Arya or Aryans, you're talking about a culture. It was not a culture. It was a religious uh, fellowship uh, of seers who were all the lion's son seers called the Arya and they were the guides of of all of these tribes so they were like when you say Scythians you're talking about like 500 different tribes of Scythians and each one of these tribes all had a seer guide and they were all the guides were in charge of where they were going to go uh, in terms of the migration and they would be the ones that were communicating with the divine well, were so they? Do you think that, is there is there any link between these Aryans that are seers and druids? Uh, that I can't answer. Again, the the druids are in a completely different part of well, the, the way, world. Well, the way that you describe uh, it, the druids, is, the druids also yeah. were were the druids also were basically Merlin figures. They were seers. It, it sounds exactly the same thing. And and also the yeah. time the time frame also seems quite similar. Yeah, um, you know, it's all it's all derivative of prehistoric shamanism, right? I mean, there you you could see that same flavor uh, throughout the planet uh, because basically coming out of Africa and and walking basically across the planet uh, were already seer guides. So at some point in time, they they formed instead of being individual seer guides, they formed fellowships. So the Lion Sun or the Aryan Fellowship begins to appear as early as the Egyptian and the Sumerian culture and that's when you see lions like especially twin lions guarding uh, the sun disk yeah. you're, lo you're looking at the early Arya symbol Wow, okay? so, so how long does that go back? Does that go back to what like 2000 BC? Uh, further than that, really, uh, really, I, I would say probably uh, uh, at least another thousand years before that and mm -hmm. certainly you see the same thing going on in both Egypt and Sumer and the uh, and the Black Sea. And in fact, there is a uh, a story that would actually take the Arya back to twelve thousand years ago. Uh, and and, uh, and that story is archaeologically happens in what is today Turkey, which is there is a place in called Cappadocia. There, mm -hmm. there are. Uh, catacomb cities where thousands of people lived underground. Yeah, yeah. and and there's there is a Zoroastrian story as well as certain um, Buddhist uh, views regarding underground civilizations. 
uh, as being at the very inception of the Arya movement. Uh, at that time, 12,000 years ago, was the last ice age called the Younger Dryas. And so people to survive actually had to go underground and they built these underground communities. Um, and some of that uh, is also the reason why uh, when the Sumerians and the Egyptians then begin to write their um, afterlife myths, they, they write about the underworld as, as the place where people's soul goes to as the house of dust or the city of entombment, which is what the Egyptians called it. And this is all based on this Cappadocia experience mm. uh, that is the beginning of the Arya uh, uh, seers. Has there, has there any, been anything found at Gobekli Tempe, or whatever it's called, um, related yeah. to what you're talking about, the Aryans? Well, that's the, the Gobekli Tempe is where you begin to see the um, emblems of animism mm -hmm. uh, to express religious views. And you should, to really properly see it, you should look at every animal that is being shown as being a, a, a figure that represents a religious idea. So, Oh, like, uh, the, like the Egyptian pantheon. Yes, so the, the ones that actually rise to the top as, as uh, civilization progresses is the lion, which is the lion sun leads the lion sun fellowship of the Arya, and the other one is the uh, the sinners. Uh, the sinners are the bull moon worshippers. Mm. Uh, so so the moon is characterized as a bull, and the sun is characterized as a lion. So what you see all of these bovine uh, images. Uh, you're looking at essentially the the bull moon or the sinners movement, and the word sin. Is the name the Akkadian Sumer Akkadian name for the moon god? His oh, name wow. is Sin, okay. and that's where that comes from. And why is so, the moon the crescent moon? Obviously, is the same shape as a bull's horns. Is that why the bull is associated with the moon? Yes, uh, that's probably a, a, a good um, point uh, as far as that's concerned. But the important thing there is that the moon and the the sinners represent a constituency that is in, involved in fertility and they are the ones who domesticate the animals the cows and the bulls they mm. they're, they're the ones who start that uh, economic basis right and that mammals. and you're saying that that's basically what 6 to 12,000 years ago uh, that that is a uh, more i would say somewhere around uh, 5 yeah Around 5,000 years ago, maybe six. Because I think yes. ca cattle were introduced to the UK in, uh, in, in 5,000 to 6,000 BC, exactly that same time. Right, right. So th this, this is like everywhere, uh, what, what we're talking about. The, the sinners you know, probably came out of Africa originally as well, uh, simultaneously with the Arya. And, and the Arya is representing the farming, the agricultural farming. So they need sun, they, they need water, those are the issues for them in terms of growth. Okay, the, the sinners are involved in fertility, so the night and the moon, all of those um, mythological representations and symbolism is important to them. Do they, happens, do they work in conjunction, Harvey? Uh, the yes, sinners and uh, the Aryans? Uh, they they lived side by side in many cultures, uh, a, as well as you know other animals. Like I said, are being used. There wasn't um, there wasn't like conflict between religion. Uh, there was a great deal of um, respectful communications, even in terms of disagreement. That that's one of the reasons why they would use metaphor and symbolism so as not to insult one another. But they still competed. All of that fell apart uh, when uh, there was a, a disaster that changed the world at, 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 at about 2000 BC. What happened there was there was a drought, an epic drought that lasted almost 200 years. And that drought brought down the original Egyptian Sumerian civilizations and the Harappan civilization in the Indus all at once uh, 
Uh, there was no more pyramid building after that drought. And uh, as part of the recovery from that 200-year drought, uh, the, uh, Babylon was established, and its uh, king, Hammurabi, uh, established uh, uh, the, the laws of law and order to restore the world from the chaos uh, that, that happened as a result of this uh, epic drought. Right, right. And, and, that's, and that's where the, the Hammurabi law or whatever originates from. Right, but there's something Hammurabi is responsible for that's more important than the eye for an eye. That was to restore order uh, uh, you know, in the human realm, but uh, it, his effort to restore order in the divine realm is even more important mm -hmm. because they had to essentially fire the old gods that failed to protect the world. Uh, and oh my so gosh, yeah, yeah. A, a new god <laughs> and a new religion was established around Marduk, okay? And that, uh, that was a lion, uh, sun, god, and then that created the breach and they blamed the sinners for everything that happened beforehand that caused the, um, uh, the drought to happen. They blame the okay. sinners, and these are the same sinners you were discussing in relation to Arya in, in Asia Minor. Yes, yeah, so these are the sinners, the Bill Moon worshippers, and, right. and, and they had priestesses, whereas the, uh, the lion's son were, uh, did not. They were male-dominated. So the male-dominated religions uh, came to power uh, at that point, about 1800 B.C., and essentially banished the priestesses who were called the sinners, the moon worshippers. Were the moon worshippers uh, previously uh, dominant? They weren't dominant, but uh, like uh, the, the uh, Ninhursag, who was the Mother Earth uh, goddess, and, uh, and uh, Ishtar, Inanna, who was the queen of the stars, were all... Uh, primarily worshipped, uh, you know, through rituals uh, by priestesses who were also poetesses who wrote the first literature. They brought beauty and art into religion, uh, and and unfortunately, the consequences of that act uh, nearly four thousand years ago, banishing women from religious service, uh, has had repercussions. Uh, in the development of culture after that, where women were b basically, oh, you're not smart enough or you're not deep enough to, to be a, a religious person. That, and that, uh, that created a second-class citizenship for females, which we are still uh, reeling from uh, in cultures today. And when you talk about Hammurabi, that's about, you're saying that's about 1800 B.C.? Yes. And so... Okay, so now getting back to Buddha himself, um, was Buddha an Aryan? Yes, uh, the Buddha, the, uh, the, the uh, Saka clan is called the Dynasty of the Sun. And the, the Buddha's uh, iconography is constantly related to the Arya uh, iconography and the, uh, and the Scythian Saka iconography of that time. So, what, just to elaborate on the point I just made earlier, the Buddha actually, as part of, of his movement, invites women into his movement. And there is a, there is a huge uh, following of women that are uh, disciples of and followers of uh, the Buddha. Almost a third of all of his followers in the physical sense were women. And he, uh, he does uh, say uh, in his teachings that women uh, are uh, given the option of becoming enlightened. So the Buddha is the first one to make the effort to reverse the damage that had been done earlier in Mesopotamia. Mm -hmm. uh, th this is a very important part uh, of, of the freedom and liberation and recognition of all people regardless of their background or culture. So is, Buddhism... he, is, is he basically an Aryan saying, you sinners can join us basically uh, he's not even concerned about Aryan or sinner at that particular point he's breaking away from all of these distinctions he's saying he's using the iconography of, of both uh, you know because he's very cosmic he's talking about 
the structure of the universe and what existence is all about. He, he's taking it from, uh, from the standpoint of the way that we're looking at the universe today. He starts talking about the universe coming into existence very similar to a Big Bang theory, mm -hmm. but he does it through the iconography of Buddhism. And then he explains how nature works, on, you know, on a, all on a grand scale. Then he offers a theory of relativity to explain existence uh, and, and that at the core of all material existence is an emptiness, which is now something that we are scientifically coming to, the, uh, to understand. And finally, he also then offers a cosmology that, uh, that talks about the underlying uh, infrastructure of existence and how it works and within all of that how human beings are travelers uh, cosmic beings who are traveling uh, in and out of the time-space uh, continuum uh, in order to uh, evolve to higher consciousness so he sees us as cosmic beings this is way 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 more sophisticated than where he comes out of but the influences are there mm -hmm. he he shows uh, a kind of a unveiling of development of religion and uh, and theology into a level of cosmology that you would look at uh, as a modern person today because now uh, just over the last 30 years or so we've got information from science that is, you know, pretty much uh, evoking, if you look at the sutras, evoking the same kind of thing. For example, you have a sutra that uh, has uh, a quote in it uh, regarding the universe. Uh, sorry, are su uh, sutras are affirmations, Buddhist affirmations? Uh, sutras are teachings, right? They are they are essentially volumes of teachings that um, are uh, what do you call it? That that are condensed to uh, to convey wisdom. Mm -hmm. And you said okay. that they're comparable to the Vedas earlier. Yeah. Okay. Well, the the yeah. Vedas are hymns, right? And the sutras are more. Um, uh, like, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, like uh, some, some of them can be pretty long, yeah. but they're more like volumes of the Buddha revealing some aspect of his teachings. Okay. Okay. And, and so the entirety of what we know to be Buddhist literature is recorded as sutras. A sutra, the word sutra literally means... Um, ever vibrating string okay okay and and the one of the earlier sutras the flower garland sutra you know it is talking cosmically about the seven planets the sun and the moon and the visible planets and that they're all vibrating and so the cosmic tree that the buddha is sitting under the bodhi tree is not a physical tree in that respect it's the canopy of the Milky Way, right. and and the Oxus Mundi uh, is the trunk. That is the the channel that a seer has to the stars. So this is this the this cosmic understanding of what the Buddha uh, is talking about is something that is built into those uh, sutras to Buddhist literature. Now, do you think um, do you think that there was any influence on early Christianity from Buddhism at all? No question in my mind that there are um, maybe 20 different parables and themes in Buddhist uh, literature that dovetail with Christian scripture is the three uh, the three mag magi the uh, three wise men is that one of them? Uh, yes. Um, the the question is, you know, who are the three magi? Uh, and this is this is a view that you know you can argue with uh, as to who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, well, they say but, that they're the stars in Orion's belt, right? Yeah, so there are various, uh, you know, interpretations of who they are. One very interesting point of view of who they might be 
is that during the 6th century BC, which is also the time that we that the Bible covers in terms of the book of Daniel, uh, there are three very famous Magi chiefs. They would be Daniel, Siddhartha Gautama the Buddha, and then Zoroaster. And if you look at the very inception of Christianity, the three agendas of Christianity before the the, uh, the resurrection of Christ and before the crucifixion of Christ, how when Christianity really begins, it begins with three ideas. One idea is the Jewish idea of there being a monotheistic God, Elohim. So. Christianity is connected to Daniel in that, in terms of Daniel representing Judaism. The second part of Christianity that's important in terms of its agenda is the teachings of compassion and charity and selflessness. Those are related to the Buddha, and so the Buddha also was the second famous Magi uh, leader. And then the third part is a teaching of Zoroastrianism. And their main agenda is that there is a conflict between good and evil, that there is a Satan God and there is a good God, and that there is a conflict between the good and evil. That too becomes part of the Christian teachings. So if you look at the three Magi in that respect, you can understand that perhaps what the Gospel writers are saying by using uh, the three Magi as coming to show respect to the baby Jesus is that they're basically saying here we're turning over the three agendas of the past to you to now build a new religion upon that. So that's great. So um, can you give us an idea how we can go about getting uh, our hands on your book, The Buddha from Babylon? And also, do you have any websites you'd like to mention? Yes, the website is uh, Buddha from Babylon.com, that's B-U-D-D-H-A, from Babylon, B-A-B-Y-L-O-N.com, and you could get lots of uh, information, including uh, interviews that I've, I've had, and maybe we could post this interview too, Jesse. Yeah, I'd love it, and I'll also post a link to your book on Amazon as well, on the on this page, on the page for this interview. Yeah, and uh, you could obviously get the book in paperback or Kindle uh, on Amazon. Uh, you could also ask for it at your local bookstore. If they don't carry it, they'll get it for you. It's available on Barnes & Noble and other you know, um, outlets online. The book won the best, um, uh, it, uh, the U.S. Uh, best book awards uh, for uh, Eastern uh, religion. And yeah, I saw that, yeah. And ancient history is, you know, they don't give out a double winner too often. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it tells you that, it, it, you know, this this covers, uh, this book uh, covers the really the roots of all religions in the world because um, before Buddhism actually comes uh, about, it is built on all of these prior religions. So by reading the book, you can. You could see what happened in Egypt and in India and in Sumer and Akkad and all these places and how the Arya began and so on so that you get a real great context for the beginning of Buddhism, including all that uh, excitement that went on in Babylon in terms of the, the conflict that then is created in regards to Zoroaster and, and, uh, and the Buddha and why there are nine attempts on the Buddha's life. Uh, once he leaves Babylon, so oh, really? uh, it, it's a there. There is uh, there is conspiracy, there is assassination, yeah. there is murder, and all of that, which basically means that the Buddha, as a pacifist, he <laughs> he had real experience in yeah, the world. Yeah. It, it didn't come out just as a good idea. It was a matter of the world needs to uh, to get it together. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so I recommend that you uh, you know get the book and uh, you can contact me on the website uh, BuddhaFromBabylon.com. Be happy to answer any questions or uh, receive any of your comments. Thank you for joining us during this episode of the Great Work Radio. 
The Great Work Radio is available from jessewaugh.com. That's J-E-S-S-E-W-A-U-G-H.com. And can also be listened to on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and other services. You can also support The Great Work Radio by clicking on ads, listening on YouTube, and leaving comments on our radio episode blog posts.